podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Chelsea certainly didn't play their part in the lead up to that. But, you know, they gave us something to smile about last night, which we'll get into later in the pod. Joining me to look back at, I guess, just a typical Chelsea week, really. It's Jam at Carefree Jam. Jam, how are we doing, my man? Hello, mate. Yeah, glad to be back on. Um, yeah, just riding the waves of the ups and downs of Chelsea Football Club. It is what it is, isn't it, at this point? <laughs> how are indeed, you? Indeed. Not bad, not bad. Um, as I said, it's been quite, you know, Chelsea aside, it's been quite a nice, quite a nice week <laughs> in this sort of this Xmas period, uh, where you also kind of just agree on that period where you just kind of lose track what day it is and oh yeah, how many days is it till New Year's, how many days is it post Christmas, etc. Just in that nice little lovely sort of forgettable period where it's where you know it's it's actually fine to and justifiable and it's sort of acceptable to just to be in this period. Anyway, I'm digressing now. Uh, Jam, as always, you have guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. Jam, tell people where they can find you and all your stuff. Oh, thank you very much as always, mate. Um, so everyone can find me on at carefree underscore jam. That's on X, formerly Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok. Um, and I am the co-owner of um, the Chelsea Social. So that's at the Chelsea Social on Twitter or X, sorry, and Instagram, and uh, also the CFCW Social too, uh, which is also on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, and TikTok these days, by the way. Links will be in the description below. Right, Chelsea playing on Christmas Eve, and the first Premier League game played on Christmas Eve in 28 years or so, or 28, 29 years, 28 years. Uh, yeah, and kind of predictably went to shit. Um Jam, I feel that people have, people will see I've got you on and people will know your stance on this player. And I feel that it's only fitting that we start on this because this is arguably potentially a turning point of the game. Uh, Jam, Raheem Sterling is through on goal after a Wolves error. He has two men in support of him, Cole Palmer and Nicholas Jackson, and he instead chooses to shoot and does not score. Uh, Jam, Raheem Sterling, golf, that was bloody selfish. I, to say the least, I'm about to say some things right. This guy, this guy, honestly, just it, it just that moment there. Someone said it on on X. Someone said that that is Chelsea's season, or and including last season in a nutshell, the ups and downs. Because he was playing extremely well, probably our best player until that point. Then it all went downhill. What is wrong with him? He was our marquee signing, and I said this before. I said this before we signed this player. People don't understand what we're getting. They're just looking at goals and assists. But I've genuinely watched him for England and the last two seasons at Man City. Me and my brother, my younger brother, we had our eyes on this guy. That's how I knew so much about him. He will not change at his big age of 29 now. He's either incredibly selfish or what is probably worse than that, will never look in such a situation. I don't know if he even looked, but he definitely heard those guys. So what are you doing, Sterling? And then what makes it worse since then, Chris Wood, has everyone seen his finish against Newcastle away where he rounds the keeper? Literally the same thing. Rounds the keeper like 
he's messy and puts in the back of the net. That's what you expect of a Premier League attacker. Not to just hit it into the midriff of the keeper. That is the worst thing I have ever seen in a Chelsea shirt. And, and it sounds extremely, sounds extremely over the top, but it is because it is. That is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I don't know how he recovers from that because now, slowly but surely, over the last year, every other Chelsea fan seems to be catching up to me about this guy, right? And they're starting to say, like, I, I just can't with him. You, you, you just cannot. And look, what we're about to talk about with Palace yesterday, I think there is a life beyond him. I think I genuinely think, not off just the back of this, but we're better off without this guy. 325k per week, and you're doing that. I'm sorry. Now that he's um, not suspended, Pochettino, I swear to God, injuries... Um, permitting, obviously, injuries permitting, do not start this guy against Luton away. Because if you do, that says an awful lot about you. What that mistake was, was absolutely abhorrent. And at that moment, when you're in a place of work, I'm sorry, you need to be punished. You need to have consequences. And that's not just serving a one-match suspension. He needs to hold the bench. And I'm being very, very, very very controlled with what I'm saying about this guy because honest to God, he's just lucky that this pod wasn't recorded on the day of this thing happening. Oh my God. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say anyway. That is the worst mistake I've ever seen for Chelsea. Ever. It's not even a mistake. It's beyond that. I think, And I think what, what is so bad about it is, is that this is not a Chelsea team that's flying. This is not a Chelsea team that in the game is 2 or 3-0 up where you can maybe justify him being selfish in that position. This is a Chelsea team at nil-nil, a team that struggles away from home in general, just is, you know, is inconsistent, so inconsistent this season and needs all the help it can get. And it gets presented an opportunity and they do not take it. It also doesn't help he gets booked later in the game for diving, albeit, you know, I don't think he does actually dive, uh, but still gets himself suspended. Um, and again, you know, I saw a tweet sort of after the game, it was a great point by Jamal Vatemp, Um Jamal, everyone knows him on Twitter, who basically made a comparison. But when we played Stoke in 2015, there's a moment where a similar position uh, situation presents itself. And then Hazard is through and he has Loic Remy next to him and he squares it because that has a good score. But Remy's in the better position to score and he squares it and Chelsea go and win that game. That was the Chelsea team going for the Premier League. And that's kind of a thing that sort of at times we like selfishness from players. But in situations like that. I feel like you've got to pass that ball basically a hundred percent of the time, unless, as I said earlier, you're you're two or three nil up, and you're going okay. Let's you know, and you're you know thinking okay, I'm on maybe on a hat trick or something. I want to get that goal. There was no excuse for not passing it, and it was downright horrendous. And yeah, and that's not the first time we've seen it with Stone this season. If it was like the, the first time, you can maybe be a tiny bit sympathetic, but it's not the first time we've seen it either. And again, it's just so. Potentially so costly. And his game, you know, can be game changing because Chelsea are all right in that first half against Wolves. You know, it's much of a muchness. Both sides sort of getting their chances towards the end of that first half. Wolves start to, you know, really assert some, some dominance. But, you know, that game could have gone either way. And that was a chance to swing that our direction. And we don't. And yeah, that was just truly, truly abysmal. And I said, I've been someone who's certainly been a lot more supportive, more lenient on Raheem Sterling than Jam and quite a few other people. But even in that moment, I was thinking there is no excuse for that. That is completely unforgivable. And yeah, that was just absolutely disgraceful. Uh, Jam, and I guess it was kind of, I feel feel like when you see a moment like that in a game, you kind of know what's going to happen next. And Chelsea go 1-0 down and conceding from a corner. And you're just like, ah, Chelsea, I've seen this script for about three or four weeks running now. I'm kind of getting bored of it. 
Oh, for real. We all knew what time it was. As soon as that chance was missed, then it all went downhill. It all went tits up. Obviously, we knew this. Merry Christmas. Yeah, we we, we knew. Um, and there's something about Wolverhampton away anyway with us. Like, you could just see the crowd getting we noisy. once there since they've returned to the Premier League. Once. Exactly. And that, that, was, that was the day where Cobham had a day out where Tabori scored a bagger. Tammy got a hat trick, Mount scored. Like, we basically used up everything that day, I feel, for that one century with the Wolves in 2019. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. It was way back in 2019. And when we've played them over the years, they haven't actually been that great. I mean, at the moment, they seem to be in a bit of form. They've got some good players, but we just got to be beating such teams. When we're on top, we don't take our moments. And this is the prime example of when it came back to absolutely I think that's a similar theme we will talk about you know when we get into the the Palace game and then thankfully we did get away with it there but yeah mm-hmm. sorry continue no no that, that's it really I mean it, you know it's a similar type of goals it's that we can see it's just so annoying um and our defense at the moment just in general I am worried and this is on Pochettino in my opinion because yes we are NHSFC. We get injuries left, right and centre for simply drinking water, for breathing air. We get injured. Um, but he tinkers with that defence way too much. I actually thought about it and I was thinking, actually, when you get a solid defence, you get a solid defence because it's the same players that play and they form partnerships. They know when someone's going to go for a header, they drop off and things like that. These guys are getting thrown together, getting mixed up all the time. Even in the game, he's tinkering with the defence. Like, how are they supposed to settle? Playing players out of position. And this is what happens. It comes to show. These other Premier League teams are smart enough to go. All we need to do is just ask questions, put the ball in the box, go and get a cross against Chelsea, and it's probably going to end up in a chance more times than not. It's so annoying, man. Yeah, and then I feel like after that, Chelsea sort of huff and puff a little bit and then concede the second goal and the killer in calamitous fashion. Jen, it'll be the start. It's the start of like a, well, just a bad week for Benoit Badi-Shield. That's three games in a row now, including the, United, the Newcastle United game. We'll get on to him against Palace a bit later as well. But he has been so ropey. And again, you kind of talk back to, you know, the changing of the defence as well. But like that said, he is... That is a horrendous error for Wolves, you know, that allows Matt Doherty of all people, Matt Doherty of all people, like, I feel he was last relevant, like, before COVID, and here he is terrorising us, and that makes it too little jam, that was just abysmal, but that was just like, so that's kind of summed it up, didn't it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, fair play, it took a, took a, took a long time, Wolves did finally temporarily pass out of our misery, and I say temporarily, because I'll get on to what happens after. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, um, they got our hopes up again, didn't they, Chelsea? But we'll talk about it in a sec. Yeah, it, that that just typifies everything. And I feel for Badishi there. Obviously, he's come back from a, a long-term injury not that long ago. But he's come into an absolute circus of a defence anyway. You know, you've got the most experienced guy in Thiago Silva, who I really like, making uncharacteristic mistakes every now and then. You've got De Sassi getting cooked once a game, minimum. He will always do something or he will just get cooked. And I've said every single game since he's played for us, this happens once a game. And then you've got Colwell playing left-back that gets cooked all the time anyway because he's just not a left-back. You're coming into this... You're basically you're putting Badishil into a into a pan of just Chelsea getting cooked. Like, of course, it, it just feels like it's going to rub off. That doesn't even sound logical, but it's just football. That's how it works. Like, this, this is the kind of stuff that happens. And it's horrible. It's horrendous. And... 
he really does need to sharpen up because unfortunately he is going to hold the bench. But actually, with Pochettino, he'll probably end up starting playing thirty minutes and coming off at half time or whatever. Like you, you just don't know. <laughs> but we need no. But on a real one, that that, that defense. We can't be getting this reputation because every single attack we're going to play against coming up now, all they need to do is cross the ball. They just go, Chelsea Chelsea defenders, just put the ball in the box and let's see what happens. They're not even trying it well. They're just trying to get across, that's all. Just put the ball in the box. Something will go wrong. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, I guess the only bright spot of the afternoon was that we got to see Christopher and Kunku off the bench Uh and he scored and he became the 27th player to score on his Premier League debut for Chelsea. And the first to do as a substitute since Alvaro Morata v Burnley in August 2017. Believe said about that Burnley game in August 2017, the better. But Jam, I guess that was nice. Uh, you know, that was that was having to go walk walk away and go, oh, well, I, I look forward to seeing how long it is till we ruin Christopher and Cuckoo and crush every bit of optimism we have, have with him. But that, that was a nice goal. And, you know, it's a good cross for Raheem Sterling. <laughs> But, but it's a really good header from Nkunku, actually. It is a really good header. And that's, you know, temporary, you know, it gives us a tiny bit of hope. Realistically, the game is instead of that point. But that was just nice. Christopher Nkunku, this player we've been waiting for, and we'll get onto it with what we saw with him against Paris. Like, that's something to like hold on to and look forward to, I guess, and just pray to God he stays fit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, how can we in this day and age of football be fearing 007s? Like, at least he's not going to get that. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's got his goal straight away. No rival fans are going to cook him. No no stupid pressure from the Chelsea fan base. That's off his back. The monkey's off his back, if you like. Um, good header. Cracking header. Like, he, you can just see he's, he's, he's an attacker. He's a proper, uh, even striker. That, that striker instincts, you know, you may not be a, a, an out-and-out striker, but... He just had the instincts to go and attack that ball, just be in the right place. And yes, Raheem Sterling did put in a good ball, but how how he how he was even still on the pitch is is amazing. It's a miracle. Like Poch, what what were you doing anyway? But look, good cross, good goal, and they got our hopes up. Only for us just to be let down anyway and lose two one. But it, it's yeah, fair enough. And Kuka got his goal, and hopefully it does in the world of good. His confidence goes up and up. Um, so I'm, I am glad of that, you know, looking back on it, it's just annoying that Badia Shield's mistake basically meant that meant nothing, you know. Uh, obviously, football doesn't necessarily work out like that, but it's just quite annoying. Do you know what I mean? But look, we, we move on to, to yesterday's game anyway. Yeah, indeed, obviously, at the end of that Wolves game, we did see Noni Madueke off the bench, who was, was a bright spark, and that was potentially, you know, a, a sign of, of things to come. As we said, we move on to Crystal Palace. So as I said, when Chelsea have lost a game and they need the pressure mounts on Poch and you, they need a result and they need to bounce back, who better to get than Crystal Palace at home? Jam, Chelsea have now won 12 consecutive top-flight games against a single opponent for the first time in the club's history. And that's 13 in all comps, including an FA Cup semi-finals. Well, if only they could play Crystal Palace every week. Um, Chelsea named their youngest Premier League starting 11 in the... Uh, yeah, Chelsea named their youngest ever Premier League starting 11 and the youngest named by a Premier League team since Man United v Crystal Palace in May 2017. The eighth youngest ever in the Premier League. I guess that's what happens when you do not start Thiago Silva or Raheem Sterling in there. But yeah, Jam, Crystal Palace, that was basically the perfect game for Chelsea to bounce back into. And to be fair, to their credit, from minute five to to basically, you know, conceding, conceding that sloppy equaliser, that period was probably the best 
we've seen from Chelsea, like in a game for for a while. I thought that was actually really good. We obviously get a really nicely well worked goal, um, and we miss you know a couple of really good chances. And really, but for, you know, we'll get onto the goal we concede because um, the fact is we should be two or three up by then, and the game be over. But Jam that period in first half that was actually some really nice stuff and some of the best stuff we've seen you know this team play for for quite a bit. Yeah, every now and then at home, Chelsea turn up, don't they? And I think what really helped us is we did, we did something that we don't always do. We took the lead early on in a game um, and we just had that control. Um, you know, the downside of that is we didn't actually put the game out of sight then because we probably could have. Um, but yeah, some real encouraging performances and, you know, uh, link-up play going forward. It, it was good stuff. Uh, Mudrit, I mean, I've... I've been a fan of this guy. I, I mean, I know he's absolutely not the finished article and he's got a lot of development, a lot of things he needs to work on, but you're seeing improvement. And a game like yesterday, getting an early goal, playing as well as he did, you know, that pass to Matson, which unfortunately didn't end up in a goal. If that would have done, one of the best assists this season. Like, you can see that things are, are, are you know, are, are, are working, are, are actually going uh, his way, um, at least with him. Um, but yeah, Nonny... Nonny is somebody that I've been quite critical of, and that's not for me to say that I don't rate him, but I just I don't necessarily like his style of play, of you know the whole cutting in thing. However, having said that, it he does look like his game, um, you know, is maturing, and he is actually starting to get more of a final product from what he does. Um, what I disliked about it was when he cuts in inevitably and then can't use his right foot. But actually, he's starting to work a way around that and starting to beat defenders and starting to to, to get a little bit more end product. So I like it. I like it. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> again, what are you doing with that starting lineup, Potch? <laughs> let's let's get into the game breakdown. I said Ian Matson does get a start on, on the right wing. Um, and I think, I mean, John, let's just get out of the way. I feel that, and a lot of us, you know, I've been calling for Ian Martin to play. Obviously, I know right ring we saw seen Masway was in preseason, even though I think a lot of us better left back. But Jam, I'll be honest, I think we're just seeing it with Martin right now. And I'm worried going going to everyone to overcrook, but he just seems a bit too soft of a Premier League right now. I just feel that he is you look at he loses a 50-50 in the lead up to to Palace's equalizer. He's fairly ineffective on on the right. I mean, he links up a cup up, up quite well a couple of nice times with Gusto and obviously has a shot. Why? But I just feel that I'm not going to handle that too much. But it, I can see why he's basically not really played much this season, to be honest. You know, like judging off that, like he just doesn't really seem really quite physical enough yet for the Premier League. Yeah, we've we've certainly seen um, this in in moments. Um, I can't remember who it was that we played, but was it West Ham away where he came on as well, like earlier in the season? And um, he lost a, a weird 50-50. They ended up getting a goal. I don't know if it was West Ham, but... Brentford at home. Oh, Brentford. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that was awful. And that's what really um, raised my eyebrows to, to the physical side. Okay, you can never write off a player for being too small. But yeah, actually, if you're supposed to be more of a defensive player in a sense, um, with offensive traits, but a defender at heart, then, you know, that can't really run in the Premier League. Unfortunately... It didn't look good. What I would say, though, is whilst I might have some sort of understanding as to why he hasn't played, um, you know, if we're going to play a centre-back at left-back and we keep conceding down that side anyway, you may as well just play him because he can, he can probably offer us a bit more going forward on the ball. 
So I do feel sorry for him in the sense that he should actually maybe just have had, by default, more chances at left back. But I do get it, you know, um, maybe why, uh, you know, he hasn't played. It's just annoying when Cucurella and Chilwell are injured. He probably should have had more game time at left back, in my opinion. Um, and when he came on there against Newcastle the other week, you know, he, he did contribute quite well, actually, I thought. But then we were chasing the game and he showed off his offensive traits rather than having to defend and get into scraps physically with um, duels and that. But look, uh, only time will tell. It looks like he is going to leave us in the, in, the, in, the, in the January window anyway. Um, I'm not as heartbroken as I maybe would have been. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, some of the showings haven't been too good, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, Jam, let's get into, I guess, Chelsea's opener. Um, Mikhailo Mudrik scores. That means he's got three Premier League goals for Chelsea against Fulham, against Arsenal and against Crystal Palace. Um, let's say two of those are at Stamford Bridge and the other is at Fulham. So basically all within a two mile radius or so of Stamford Bridge. He really does uh, love a London team. Does Mudrik, I know you were kind of touching on the start of it. Um, also for listeners who were listening to the season preview pod, Tom Curley made the prediction that Mikhailo Mudrik would outscore Marcus Rashford in Premier League this season. And the latest on that is Mudrik free Rashford two. In the Premier League, so that prediction from Coley is is going is you know halfway through the season, and we're, we're he's ahead. So good one there from Tom. Um, but Jam said that's back to back home games he scored in. Now I said he'd gone sort of after that Arsenal Fulham games, he'd sort of gone a little bit quiet, and obviously an injury was a tiny bit of a factor of that as well. Just nice to see him sort of you know sort of back out there and again just going like, yeah, this is all right. And he said if he can. Who knows if he can maybe get Chelsea to maybe if he can get something like ten goals or something just over maybe close to ten goals in all comps. That's not a bad season considering you know the starting point and basically what we saw last season and how this season started. I guess absolutely. Um, it uh, you know about his goal. I just liked how he ended up being in the right place. Um, you know, it's uh, showing good attacking instincts. You could say maybe he was lucky because. He was only there because of a previous run for the previous pass that actually got cut out and then Gusto got it. So he happened to be there. But maybe he's going to learn from such a lucky thing in a sense, if you want to call it that. Um, and I, I liked his celebration. He was just like, let's just get to work. Like He he, he did a you know, nonchalant, put his arms out. If he's going to do that all the time, great. But I just liked it. Let's get back to it. Um, he's definitely showing signs of improvement. He's getting separation from defenders. He's making better runs. Um, and yeah, uh, I would love him if he got 10 goals. I mean, that's uh, maybe a bit steep now, but all comps, if he got 10 goals, wow. You know, he will have a real solid foundation, start getting respect. And when you start getting respect from, you know, your teammates, your manager and fans, that gives you confidence. And for a young player at this level, that's extremely, extremely important. I mean, I'd also like to challenge him to get more assists because, yeah, it's all good getting the goals, but... I'd love him to get more assists. That being said, he does put in a lot of crosses and, you know, we could argue that pe people aren't in the box to put them in. But, yeah, it's it's good stuff from Madrid. Indeed. And also, I think his defensive work rate as well has improved quite a lot in, in recent weeks as well. Yeah. Jan, the person who basically is largely responsible for that first goal, he's the best ground pitch last night and it's probably his best game in a Chelsea shirt. You know, I think the Luton game, you know, comes close to it. But this, I think, was his best game. Malo Gusto, 129 touches, the most on pitch, 91 out of 97, passes completed the most, eight times he won possession, he won six of his duels, three tackles, three final third entries, three interceptions the most, two chances created the most, and one assist jam. But, I mean, that goal is just beautiful. Like, that, firstly, that turn, that is like, that is, 
that's not safe for work stuff. That is, that is, oh, that is, that comes with a warning. That does. That was, that was sensational. And then what's what I think is so nice about it is he start he basically ends up on the right and say drives forward, and he ends up in the space of that move. He starts a right back, ends up left back. It's actually also which we'll probably get forgotten. It's a really nice pass from Nkunku, I think, that actually to play him in, um, and he he puts it across on a plate. For for Mudrick. Uh just to form his forms, it's a really nice assist for him. And also for just again defensively, he was he was pretty good. He had I thought, you know, he handled he was up against I think Elise in the second half more when he moved to left back and he handled him fairly well, I thought, as well. Obviously, Elise caused Coral troubles in the first half, but I think Elise potentially was, you know, a little bit ineffective in the second half. I think he maybe got past Gusto maybe one time or something. But like in general, that was I thought such a good performance from Malo Gusto. And as I said, with Reese James out, you know, for as long as it is. Chelsea, this is the first time in basically forever that Chelsea have actually got someone at right back who you feel, yeah, we can, we, you know, Reese James shouldn't affect this team that much. Reese James's absence shouldn't affect this team that much. Yeah, he's he's a proper player. Like the the term baller comes to mind. Um, a, a player that is just a footballer. Like you could put him into any situation and he'll be able to to do something about it. Do you know what I mean? Um, I love his his technical ability. Uh. His dribbling's amazing. I'd love to see, and he's a young player, isn't he? Only just like twenty-one, by the way. He's a young player, already showing these signs. So it's really exciting stuff. Um, I thought in the goal he was absolutely amazing. He just took himself there, um, and you know that's the signs of of a player that's just you know really, really like a top level player. And you just pray that you just pray that injuries can just stay away from him because that's already had a bit to say for, for for him this season. But I I love him. I I, I genuinely think that when, when he plays, we don't necessarily miss Reese that much. Obviously the physical side, but I actually think he's he's as good in certain areas uh, as Reese. Uh, I'd love to see his crossing improving. He doesn't seem to have a shot on him, but he's comfortable on both feet to an extent. Um and you know he loves to take possession under pressure. He's he's good and he can just turn um, opposition players and just create something out of nothing. So he's going to become invaluable. Let him just stay injury free. Unfortunately, we might have to see um, occasionally a bit of disassy at right back if we do get quite a lot of games um, building up. And I hate that, but um, you know, top top player, absolute top top player. Love him. He's got three assists now in twelve Premier League games. One in four, not bad uh, from him. Jam said so that first half was you know really nice it was really good all that was missing was Chelsea killing that game off and if you don't kill games off you re- you allow yourself to get in danger and Michael Elise punished us he was basically the second best player on the pitch I thought he was outstanding yesterday that's like every I think everyone knows he's a talented player but obviously I do not watch loads of Crystal Palace because watching Roy Hodgson football is not really something that appeals to me loads and in general in the past against Chelsea I can't really remember him standing out much against us but he certainly Stood out yesterday, but Jam, I think it's just such a frustrating poor goal to concede because let's start with it. Martin basically loses a 50 50 and the ball gets recycled and a cross uh, gets put it put in for him. Caicedo just stands there and like watches it. There's no communication from him. And then Badia Shield and Colwell basically don't communicate either. And then all of a sudden, there's Elise to drift in, take it down, and then he's basically got a score from her and he does slot it past Petrovic. And it's one one jam. I mean, that's Crystal Palace's first goal at Stamford Bridge since 2018. So, um, that's, 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 at that point, it's just like, oh, boy, Chelsea. We we love making things harder 
for ourselves when we need to. And Jam, it's just so poor defensively, as I said. There's question, you know, Levi, I thought, you know, really did struggle sort of at left back. You know, at least there's a moment in that game where I was like, we're in trouble when Elise just turns him so easily and he's got like him running back to go. I'm like, oh dear. Um, but Jam, I feel that's also like, you know, Levi Cowell is a left back and he's got, he ends up challenging for a ball, going for a ball aerially, aerially in a central area. Now, look, I think you've got to communicate better with, you know, Caicedo, Badishio and Cowell probably got to communicate sort of better in that sort of space but also I feel that you kind of you play a centre-back at left-back they're still going to have centre-back center, center back tendencies uh, and I kind of just feel like you kind of saw that there it was just such a poor goal to concede it's a really nice finish from Elisa but it's just such a poor goal to concede yeah crap absolutely crap and we're all fearing the worst because you know what goals are like just before half-time or just after half-time when you can see goals then it usually doesn't end well so we were all extremely pissed off at the time. And it's a familiar thing. Another cross into the box and then we're a circus. Like, it's as simple as that. And yeah, Caicedo, my my friend, like, is he was he still ill? Like, was he feeling that fever still? Like, that was crap. And uh, Cole Will, look, I hate going in on him because he, like he said, he he is a centre-back playing left-back and he's quite a young player. And I do like him. I, I, I definitely think there's a player there. Let me just get out of there. But all too often, we are seeing him get absolutely cooked at left back. This is why I think Pochettino should just play Matson. I, I just don't see the difference. Like It's probably going to happen to Matson too, but at least he can offer us more on the ball going forward. And just put Cole on the bench if you're not going to put him centre-back. Like It's unfair on him. But this, like you said, was classic centre-back tendencies being shown to go and kind of attack. Was it Mateta? He tried to win the header uh, battle with him and then it just falls to Elise on Mark back post and he just punishes us. Top finish. And Elise absolutely cooked him time and time and time and time again. It was actually scary stuff. Like, I think he ended up completing six dribbles and uh, most of them were against Colwell. But do you understand how bad that is? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, at that moment, I was I was so pissed off. But, you know, we we at least got the result. But we need to stop doing this because against a better team, you know, against uh, even when I say better, I mean only marginally better. Look, against an Everton, a Wolves, a Bournemouth, a Fulham, a Brentford, you know, I don't need to go much higher than that. All the teams above, of course, they will capitalise on that. And we drop points. We drop points. And we almost did yesterday. It's not good enough. And that, that really needs to be sorted. But... You know, that for me starts with Pochettino. You you as a coach, like, what are you doing with this defence? They are leaking goals. They're more leaky than a sieve. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it, it, it's crazy. He needs to sort this out. And I think it will probably start from tinkering with who starts, what, who plays where less and going with a more settled back line. You know, unfortunately, we've got too many centre-backs. We're going to have to hold that. They don't all need to play. Like... Don't just give them all game time for the sake of it. Let some solid sort of cohesion form with these guys. Because um, it's a bit of a joke at the moment. I've never seen a team change their defenders as much as, as we have this season. Yeah, and Jan, to be honest, I think that goal just riled us because I don't think Chelsea really recovered from from that equaliser till maybe sort of the second half of that second half. I thought the, start of the second half, again, Palace died on top. Um, Badia Shield got 
bullied, bullied by Mateta. That was embarrassing. And, you know, Petrovic had to pull off some, you know, important saves. Um, so, Jan, when you're one, it's one or when you're struggling, you turn to your bench. And the first lot of subs, I have to say, I thought were bizarre. Like, I've been someone who's not really made a big deal of Poch's subs in games like a lot of other people have. But those first two lots of subs, Lavia for Matson and Silva for Colwell, I'm just like, it's one all. Like, what? And I know, like, Mart, you you bring on a midfielder in Lavia for an attacker in Martin and then a defender for a defender. So it's naturally just a more defensive change, even if Martin was basically ineffective on the right. Um, Lavia's also basically seems injured again. So that 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 debut has gone brilliantly. We waited months. He's now got a fly complaint, and I did fear because I did see on the on the TV yesterday. You did kind of see him looking a bit ginger towards the end of that game. But I thought that was bizarre. Look, I think Levi going off, I don't think he can complain. I think, honestly, though, Baddy Shield could easily have gone off as well, and he does go off later. I think what's frustrating is, with that sub, though, is that you've got another centre-back on the pitch. Sven Gusta, who's been great down the right, ends up going to the left, and Dezazi then moves to right back. And look, don't get me wrong, I think Gusto ends up dealing with Elise quite well. Maybe it would have been more fatal to keep Cole dealing with Elise. But at that point, I'm thinking... If you sub Badia Shield, if you're going to make that sub, there, and you bring Silver, then you don't, then that defense that has basically been all placed, it doesn't actually have to change. Like you can still keep players in their natural position instead of in game again, making players switch position and play different roles. That seems bizarre. And then look, love you coming on. I'm pleased for him. On the side point, I thought that aesthetic of white socks and white boot looked clean. That was actually very nice to see. I was like, that looks, I was like, there was something about that. I was like, yes, okay. You you see you know that that's that looks good. Uh, that's a really stupid minor point. And Lavi was like was Lavi was fine when he came on. He he didn't do anything great. He he lost the ball a couple of times. He was he was okay. You know nothing really. So big on that. Gem, I thought both that first pair of subs though that was just bizarre. That like I was like but I didn't see that really doing anything to alter the game at all. I like I've been fairly lenient on on Poch's subs and I've not found them to be as maybe confusing as other people have at times. But that first pair of subs I thought that was bizarre. Yeah, it was, mate. Um, you know, just just quickly, obviously that goal before half time knocked us, and they're a young team, and it's a case of here we go again, syndrome. You know, um, of course that's going to be a bit deflating, and I think that's why we saw what we saw in the first bit of that second half. Uh, fair play to Palace; they got a boost from it. Uh, Mateta, I don't know what it's like. He he got given an attribute card from you know Ultimate Team. Do you know what I mean? He just turned into a bit of a beast, and yeah, like you said, completely bullied Badiashil. Um, but Poch, I've said it multiple times. Like this tinkering with a defense as much as 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 he does, it's not going to end well. These defenders need to be settled. It's like musical chairs at the back, and I just don't get it. I mean, it, I, I, just remind me that that meant Desarsi went right back, didn't he? Yeah, and yeah. I mean Desarsi did put in a lovely cross at one point in the second half, but like, I'm just thinking like Gusto's been excellent down the right. I'm just thinking he, like it just yeah. seemed like we did. As I said, I get maybe maybe Elise the threat was Elise. He wanted, I don't know, maybe he wanted to to deal with that better. But it just seemed bizarre that you essentially, you know one sub and like because I said you honestly could have sub Cole or Badia Shield off like at that point neither was covering themselves in in any glory but that sub meant you had to do more I don't know anyway just continue well well <laughs> the thing is right it's almost like he doesn't appreciate how much a fullback an actual fullback an actual fullback assists with the um 
the wingers, like you know, whether that's overlapping play or that's getting the yeah, ball into their yeah, feet. So a lot quicker. I've just had, I've just tried to imagine Dazazi doing that. Just turn <laughs> the first half, and I'm like, and I've just got like the turning circle of like a tractor or something. Like, oh he breaks his ankle. He breaks his own ankle doing that. And this is the thing: those little moments, you need natural players playing their positions, and that's so beneficial for the likes of Mudrik, Madueke, even Sterling, like. Uh, in Kunku, all these attacking players, Palmer, they would benefit so much from these natural fullbacks players. So, whilst we're chasing a goal, to then take away from our best player from that in that aspect, to then replace him with a centre back, Hotch has had a fetish of playing three centre backs from the start of the season. He has. Remember the days of Chilwell left wing, like there were three centre backs on the pitch. He, 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 you know, he's been said that he likes this height thing, but it's not helping us anyway because we always can see from crosses. So. It, I, I just don't understand what he's... I, I don't get it. Like, I would love for him to explain it and just say, this is why we're doing it. And even if it doesn't make sense, I, at least there's an explanation. Because right now, he looks like an absolute idiot. And I tell you now, if we don't win games, continue not to win games, and he keeps doing this, like yesterday in my eyes, we got fortunate, it was a last-minute penalty. If we drop points and this stuff keeps happening, my God, question marks, man. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's so odd. Yeah, no, indeed. Indeed, it's just... Yeah, as I said, the subs were just bizarre. And I think there's, like, a point being that, like, if you're Poch and you basically, you don't sort of play players, you know, you it just seems like... And I said, this is a point made by... I see Rob Lawman on Twitter quoted um, a Pankowski tweet, and he's both, like, good accounts. And he says... Uh, Basically, Pankowski's tweet was basically Poch playing, you know, not playing players in their natural position. And then it is. And Rob, like, basically said very well, you're playing with fire. Poch is need- needlessly playing with fire with this. If you're going to keep deploying these alternative makeshift solutions, then you absolutely need to start producing results. Otherwise, it's almost impossible to justify and defend. And that's basically kind of what you said, Jan, because he does sort of make a, it does feel like at times he makes a rod for his, for his own, you know, backup points with some of these choices and then being like needlessly. Over complicate them. If you're playing players out of position and they don't do well, like yeah, oh, it is frustrating. Jam. I do think the second lot of subs though are, you know, quite effective. I think by the 71st minute, Mikhailo Mudrik's influence has certainly waned on the game. I think that is something we do tend to see with Mudrik. He does tend to sort of fizzle out the later games go on, and in Kunku, as we know, he's come back from injury, and he they're replaced by Armando Breyer and Noni Madueke. Uh And Jam said. Nonny basically is he's, he's taken Poch's treatment of him personally because these are two cameos off the bench where he has really helped change the game. And I thought Armando as well off the bench, you know, he's frustrating. I'm still, you know, there's still questions about whether he will be good enough. But obviously, he's maybe the man who'll get a look when when Jackson way. But Armando does have sort of a nice takedown of a, of a ball across the pitch. And then, you know, unfortunately, instead of probably going across the keeper, tries to get it in about near post and it's a side net. But Jam, that second lot of subs, I think, did actually help. And Noni Madueke, the game changer, a player who probably a few weeks ago were going, yeah, he's definitely out of the club in January. He's basically got no future. That looks like such a pointless signing. Maybe, maybe there's life with Noni Madueke yet because that was a really impressive cameo. It is quite nice that he's decided, you know, he he's now sort of like running at players as well. He but he does actually seem to like quite like taking players on. He's not necessarily a player, but will just like you know he he does like to sort of come inside a bit and jam. Obviously. At this point, we think Nicholas Jack Nicholas Jackson is Mr. Sitter, and then he, we think he scored a mass disallowed. I will get onto Jackson in the listener questions, folks, because there's a question on Jackson which will form a discussion there. So I'll leave Jackson for now. But Jam Nonny comes on, 
and he wins a penalty. And I think one of the most bizarre things is that that's not given straight away. <laughs> and the play goes on for another two minutes. Uh, Palace can't be ever end. Uh, nothing comes of it. Um, but yeah, Nani Madueke making an impact. That was really nice to see. That was probably his biggest moment in a, you know, the biggest 20 minutes or so in his in his Chelsea career so far. Most important good. as well. Yeah, good, good, good. I mean, yes, uh, you like to, you hear the phrase progression isn't always linear quite a lot. And maybe that's the case for him. Obviously, he, he may have fallen out with Poch a little bit from some antics a few months ago. Uh, hasn't really recovered from that and he always gets injured. So, you know, I don't think Poch has faith in him. But to, dan- to, to have an effect on games like this will always turn the manager's head. You know, if you're someone they don't look to, but then you, you basically rescue them, they're going to take notice. They're going to sit up and take notice. And yeah, Nonny... Um, I've been critical of him. I said it earlier. You know, he does. He used to do that thing where he's quite predictable, cut inside and can't use his right foot. Um, sometimes when he then dummies back onto his right foot, he couldn't use it then. And there wasn't really much final product or end product. But now he's beating his men, uh, his man. Uh, he's dribbling at them a lot more and he is getting that final product. So I like him like this. And, you know, when Sterling's doing his stupidness like he is at the moment, you know, actually this could be his time to shine. And, he seems to be taking a chance. So I I sincerely hope that he can be ahead in the pecking order um, compared to Sterling. I mean, look, Palmer's going to come back. It's, it's, we're actually going to have the luxury of quite a few attackers to choose from next game. But, you know, um, it would be nice to see him start and, you know, be um, be given that chance from from actually having the, the effect of winning the penalty, which he did very well to do. Uh, and it was a penalty. Like, I'm glad you reminded me of of that painful two minutes after because I saw it and I was like, that's a pen. Saw the replay and I was like, yeah, 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 that's a pen. But you just have to wait. And it's, it was frustrating, but I thought he did very well when he came on. You know, he, he took his penalty very well um, and he got us a very, 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 very vital three points. And uh, I, I think he, he gave Poch a little bit longer, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. He was Nonny Madueke was only the second substitute for score for Chelsea in the Premier League and the first to change a result from the bench this season. Perhaps also an indication of the ineffectiveness of some of Poch's subs, although obviously it depends on game stay, etc. And was, I think the other one was Jackson when we were already winning at Burnley earlier on in the season. Uh, so yeah, that puts two one. And said, you know, he it does give I think Poch something to think about for looting because I said I feel based on what we've seen these last games, if and as football should be a meritocracy, then I think he starts. I think he certainly should start over Sterling is basically a question of, do you start Palmer against Luton? What what do you choose to do? But again, I feel against Luton, probably I feel we'd want more trickier players playing rather than people who, you know, necessarily the more necessary creative players who put in ball into the box. Because I feel against Luton, that's just what they will thrive on. And I think we actually probably want trickier players running at them. So we will have to wait and see. But as I said, that basically, you know, put Chelsea, you know, it's a good and massively important win for Poch, as I said, it meant Chelsea won 12 wins in a row against Palace. And like, I know at some point runs come to an end and stats like that can't last forever, but it would also have felt quite telling for Poch to be the one to break the record, to sort of break that. But considering that Graham Potter's Chelsea managed it twice last season as well. Um, as I said, I will say the delay of giving the penalty did basically sort of add to the narrative of Chelsea scoring really last minute winners against Crystal Palace. Because I said that these three seasons running now, but Chelsea have had a league game against Crystal Palace that season where they have won it late. Obviously, Hakim Ziyech scored in February 2022 uh, that game where Lukaku had about eight touches where Chelsea were genuinely abysmal and then Chelsea he, scored, he pops up in the 89th minute 
to win it 1-0. Gallagher scored him a 90th minute uh, last year at Crystal Palace. Uh, and then obviously this year, uh, this season, Madueke pops up. So I said, Crystal Palace, it's it's long. It's Groundhog Day. I reckon we get frustrated with us losing at Everton basically yearly, but at least it's basically not the same fact. It's not conceding a last minute winner basically near enough quite often. Um, so I know that was nice. And it, as I said, it just, you know, put Chelsea, you know, Chelsea was sort of in the were temp still. And as I said, you know, two points off Brighton, who plays Spurs tonight. They're four points off Newcastle. We're struggling. Newcastle, whose fixtures are, are coming up aren't kind. They're five points behind West Ham, uh, who were at Arsenal tonight. They're six points off sixth place Man United. So who knows? But maybe we'll get onto that. Don't, Chad, don't do this to yourself. Don't do this to yourself. It's torture. It's setting yourself up for. For disappointment, but no, it did just feel huge. And Jam, obviously, I guess feel good moment of match. Potch, fair, like, fair fuck. But in a way, like gonna be critical of the subs. If people were like questioning the subs, two 0 against Sheffield United. No, nah, I'm not gonna bring on like Gilchrist or or, or Matos there. We're two 0 up. But the two one up against Crystal Palace in injury time. I'm gonna bring Gilchrist on then. I'm gonna replace Baddy Shield. I'm gonna bring Gilchrist on. Uh, Alfie Gilchrist makes his debut for Chelsea. Special moment for the love. Look, I'm, I I don't want to sort of. I'm not really going to, you know, I don't really want to spend too much on him because I feel like people are sort of basically just going like, he because he just put himself about there and he basically was like getting the crowd revved up and he was just really passionate and like throwing himself about out there. He didn't really do much when he was on the pitch, but he was just, you know, but people just love that passion and enthusiasm. And I don't really want to go overboard on it because he didn't actually do much when he was on pitch. But that was just, a, I guess, a nice moment as well. And it said, yeah, it, it was nice. And who knows? But Gilchrist, like, he kind of basically showed what Chelsea fans want to see more of. I don't, you know, in terms of attitude, etc. from players said, you know, nothing really to go crazy about that performance, but comes on, you know, helps us see off a win. Just, just a nice moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was delighted for him. Uh, and <laughs> there's a gif going around uh, on Twitter at the moment, showing him when he tried to block the ball with his head and he's just tearing around the pitch. Brilliant. I love to see it. You, you know, the effect on fans was was good to see because obviously everyone loves that. But but actually, um, I think there's a there's an effect on your own teammates when you come on and you you do that. You you kind of can be inspiring. It can be you know sort of infectious. You know, players start to kind of think, Man, I need I need to run around like this. Do you know what I mean? So it's good and it's just a, a pure hearted performance <laughs> in the, in the few minutes he was on the pitch. But no, he got his debut. That's going to mean a lot for him. You know, um, we may see him a bit a few more times this season. Um, but every time I see Gilchrist, I, I with that haircut, I just think George Benson every single time, and I can't help but think that. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> also, if basically everyone, if anyone basically remembers like very early days, John Terry, like I think when he sort of yeah. maybe when he scores his first goal, or whatever, like for Chelsea, maybe similar similar haircut. And obviously, there's now that viral sort of TikTok of john terry responding to a question for, from a fan about like this next young talent and he mentions or send about company mentions alfie gilchrist there so look it's one scene who knows there's cup games coming up as i said preston you'd like to think he's certainly in the squad and maybe game dependent he you know he can come on in that maybe maybe he gets a start in that who knows middlesbrough in the carabao cup maybe if that tie is wrapped up with time to go maybe he can come there hopefully there's opportunities and i said it's, it's just nice as well and as I said, it just also does show to academy players that, yeah, the pathway can be open at times as well. Like Chelsea have got this squad, they've got a lot of spend a lot of money on talent, but also it can be open and stuff like that is fairly important. As I said, we've not touched on on Jackson's game, but we, we've got a listener question on that, which we'll, we'll, we'll focus on. So I am going to go to listener questions right now. First up. Question comes in from Gabs. Grade our Christmas fixtures. As we're mid-table, foundation grades only. C is the highest possible grade. Uh, so, Jab, Wolves and Palace 
Wolves, I'm just going to go with a flat with a, with it with with an E because I, I'll say Newcastle. I'll say Newcastle and Man United were basically Fs because I feel that was better than those two. Um, maybe an E is maybe a D. Can you get a D minus? I don't know. It's been a while. Can we get like a, a D is the highest I can give Wolves because like you know it did swing on moments. Um, and then Palace. If C is the highest possible, Gabs, then I would kind of give it because we did win and we were we should have had that game out of sight. We did kind of shoot ourselves in the foot, but I, you know, the performance I didn't mind. I didn't really learn much from it, but I was not too disheartened really with what I saw it was obviously just disheartening to concede a, you know, a soft goal, but in terms of actual performance against a Palace side, and I know we've got the wool over Palace, but this is a Palace side that have gone to Old Trafford this season and won. Granted, near enough everyone, but us wins there. And the Palace side that did come from two goals down at Manchester City a couple of weeks ago to draw two. So, you know, they do, they can trouble some of these sides. So, yeah, as I said, Wolves will Wolves will give a, a D minus uh, or, you know, or an E. And then we'll give, we'll give Palace, we'll, we'll give Palace that C because I said, you know, I thought Gusto was outstanding. I said in that first half, we probably should have been two or three up. Um, and then we did show grit and determination in the end to, to get over the line. Uh, Jam, grade those fixtures. Uh, I'm going to go with an E for Wolves. Um, and, you know, within that team, Sterling can hold a Z if you could ever give that. So, you know, he he can he has to hold that. Anyway, uh, I'll say E for that. Uh, and then, yeah, Palace C. It, you know, it's, it, a win that we expected and needed. But we just about got there. So, yeah, I, I would just go straight C for that. OK, next question. This is the man who will cause, you know, no doubt caused a lot of talking last night. Comes in. Um, and it says, to be honest, although a lot of the criticism of Jackson is very fair, I also feel like in many cases, people are just moving the goalposts. Why is him scoring at least a decent amount suddenly not important, but the other things a striker is supposedly required to do, gaining importance? What I would say on Jackson, yes, is I actually, those other things that, you know, they're perceiving the question to be gaining points. I actually thought he did those things really well yesterday. In response, I think he has a really nice flick for a Mudrick chance that you know could have could have resulted in a goal. And also, he plays a he you know when in a when in a good attacking position, actually plays the other player through a goal, which is something that not, which are something other Chelsea players could learn from. And obviously, it's just a shame that Nkunku uh, basically goes to goes to wind up and kicks down on the on the Palace players and easy come down. It's obviously not a penalty. It's just you know unfortunate that Nkunku doesn't quite you know get the shot off away in time. But Jan, in that moment, in the first half, we could easily have been talking about a first half where Nicholas Jackson has two assists. And I guess, you know, that's... I mean, obviously, the chance that he misses is really bad. It's a really nice free ball by Conor Gallagher. Um, and that chance is really bad. But then he scores a really nice finish from, from an offside shot, which is obviously more... Probably arguably more difficult. The ball's coming down and he sort of controls it really... You know, manages to get the shot away really well and scores. Nicholas Jackson, we talked... I talked about it with Tom Coley on the pod um, a few weeks ago. Jam, just what are your thoughts on, on Nicholas Jackson, because I actually, I said, he's got eight Premier League goals. And again, I don't need to bring this up. He would be top scorer at club. He would be the top scorer at clubs like Man United and Arsenal this season. He's outscored Darwin Nunez. I know Darwin Nunez is a bit of a meme, etc. But, you know, he scored one, he scored two, um, two less goals than Ollie Watkins this season, for example, who, who I'm sure as a player, Chelsea fans would love, would, you know, wouldn't mind... Chelsea potentially signing at some point. I don't know. Um, just just thoughts on, on my question because actually, to to the person who asked that question, I actually think the other things he's slowly like there are signs of him actually getting better at those other things 
people are deeming quite important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually never really question his link-up play. Um, I, I think he's quite good at that. Um, look, Jackson, he, he hasn't had very long playing up front and we're just seeing a young player that's still learning their trade. That's what it is. Um, and, you know, I keep kind of, kind of having to remind myself that we are setting the expectations too high with him. You know, it's not his fault that he has come into this situation where we need him to be at a certain level, but he's not just, he's not there yet. And that's not really on him. Uh, what we are seeing is a is a striker developing and learning their trade on the job. Um, so, you know, when it comes to finishing, he hasn't really got it yet. Um I do think to an extent that can develop. I do think he'll start to get more composure when it comes to his finishes. Um, and then we'll see more times than not chances like um, the one he missed yesterday being converted. But again, like you said, the offside goal, unfortunately for him, it was a good finish, but it doesn't count because it was offside. I, I like him. I just don't think we've set him up in the right way. He shouldn't be the starting striker for Chelsea. Um and also, he shouldn't really play on the wing. I think he will have to be a striker for us. But I would, I, I, I think the narrative would be very different if we had an accomplished, uh, elite striker and he was the one coming off the bench to replace them every now and then. I, I actually think that Chelsea fans would really like him rather than being as um, critical of him as they have been. Because you can't ignore the fact that he does get goals. He makes good runs. Uh, most of the time. I still think he, he needs to work on his box play as a striker. I don't think he's getting on the end of enough crosses and he's not necessarily the best in the air. But there's a lot to work with there. You know, compared to someone else that is a striker, you can see he's kind of levels at the moment above Broja. I hate to say it because I actually think Broja could have been that guy, but that injury's obviously affected him quite a lot. Um, so, yes, yeah, certainly compared to him, he's... He's our number one guy, and I think he needs a bit more respect from uh, Chelsea fans. I do get it. He's incredibly frustrating at times. Um, you know, he, he needs to do better at, at times, but he will. You know, I think keep the faith for the guy, and he can have some kind of a future with Chelsea. Maybe not as the number one striker beyond this summer, uh, but he could certainly have an effect. And, you know, I, I see him staying there for a few years and, and doing well, to be honest. Yeah, and I said he's on, you know, seven Premier League goals. If he can get 15 goals a season, you know, you're pretty happy if he can be a 15-goal-a-season striker right now. And if he get does that, you know, as I've said before, you know, if he gets 15 goals in a Premier League season, that would be, you know, the best since best since, best since Tammy Abraham uh, at Chelsea. And, you know, basically one of the best in, best since Costa. And we've seen Chelsea have other strikers come to his football cup and fail. And I said, there are signs that it was actually like, you know, a player there, as I said about last night, if he gets that, if he tucks away that chance, it's a big hit. But everyone's saying, oh, that's a brilliant performance from Nicholas Jackson. Like, he misses a chance. And then the question's like, is he good enough? Is it just like the fine margins? As I said, I think he, like, can improve. As I said, he's he's not been playing striker for very long. He's not played loads of senior football. Like, he's a talented player. And I do say that, I do think we're asking a lot of him. And also, Jam, like, he's done this with basically without Nkunku, who he was linking up well with in preseason and, you know, was basically expected to help, you know, some of that burden off him as well. You know, he's only now just starting to play with Nkunku. So, yeah, look, as I said, he frustrates, like, he will, co- like, he will quote cost Chelsea games at some point you know and throughout the season as well and like continue to, of course but he's a young striker and I kind of explained to him he's also you know will help Chelsea get points and get some crucial points as well like he's doing fine like honestly he's doing fine he costs 35 mil he's got seven Premier League goals he'll go away to Afghan a bit but if he can get like 15 Prem goals in this season 
but I'm more than happy with that. And like he's doing fine. Who knows if he's good enough long term? We'll just see how he develops. Maybe if Chelsea develop, if Chelsea do actually develop and become like a, you know, this top elite side, but we hope they can. Then hopefully Jackson, you know, can keep up with that. And if he doesn't, then we just say thank you. You were, you know, a useful, important part of the process to help get us there. And you'll you'll have a good career elsewhere. But he's doing fine, and I think you know, hopefully, if he keeps improving, then he can potentially be that man to lead the line for us. We'll just have to wait and see. Next question comes in from JL. What do you make? What do you think of Moises Caicedo? I'm not enjoying his contributions much. He seems to lack any vision or desire to progress up the field and is often a culprit for slowing down our moves. Jam, Moises Caicedo. This is an interesting one. I don't think he had his best game yesterday by any means. Um, he was okay, I thought, but didn't have his best game. I thought it's interesting. JL mentions about, you know, slowing the ball down or progressing field actually for against Sheffield United. I mentioned on the pod with, with Tom Cody that him and Gallagher in that first half were key to Chelsea winning the ball back and actually progressing the ball up highly. So it is something I think he's able. What do you think, Jam? Is it quite tough? Because I feel like we did spend a lot of money on him and you shouldn't judge players really by their price tag, but it's just going to be something that is just in the back of the mind of people going, we spent a hundred million on this. And I just think ultimately, Caicedo is never really going to justify that price tag because he did not, because Chelsea, he was not worth he was not he's not a hundred million pound player you know he's a very good player and he can become and right now he's a very good player and i think he can become an elite potentially world-class player but i don't think he justifies that price tag so i think it in the back of mind that's always going to be just something difficult to judge him what do you make of moises i said like i think he's just kind of been fine for chelsea this season like if i was to grade him i'd probably like on his season so far for chelsea i'd probably give him like a b b b minus something like he's been fine like he's not he's had a couple of games where I've been like, you're really good. There's also a couple of times where I'm like, you are also really late to tackles. Like and you do put in some pretty horror tackles. And I think maybe you might get some red cards. But what do you think? Like, I think he's like he's doing he's doing he's doing it okay. Like he's maybe, you know, I said I don't think he's ever really gonna be able to justify that. It's gonna be hard for him to justify that price tag, but I think he's doing okay. But just thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I, I think he's doing okay. Um Again, are we setting up our expectations too high for him? Um, you know, is it because of the price tag that play, people are expecting that he is already world-class? No. The the fact is, we've got to remember, the players that we speak about with Chelsea, other than Sterling and Nkuku, are 23, 22, 21, 20, 19. Do you know what I mean? These are very young players still learning their trade. And the stupid thing is, and this shows this Project 2030, this nonsense with our transfers, all of our centre mids are 23 or younger. And I think Caicedo's 22. So he's still a young player. He's still learning. He's still adapting to what Chelsea is. You know, Chelsea Football Club at one of the, the most prestigious clubs in, in the country. He's still adapting to all of this. Um, and it doesn't really help that players are coming in, coming out. He's, he's, he's not really getting a chance to form partnerships yet. Um, I do think sometimes maybe he is going to struggle in possession a little bit, but... Uh, I think he's shown enough to, you know, enough glimpses, if 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 not more than that. Uh, he's shown enough times that he, he is a good player. The only way he's ever going to justify that fee is if he does continue to develop and we do keep him for like 10 years. You, you know, <laughs> unfortunately for him. And Chelsea are successful in that time as well. Yeah, with a exactly. lot of probably things contingent up that he can't really control right now. And JL, to ask, if it was a thing I'd be more slightly more concerned about, out of the, that that two hundred million pound midfield, it would probably be Enzo Fernandez. I'd be yep. the one I'd be 
you know, and I'm, you know, I'm still pretty happy with Enzo. I still think, you know, if I was to grade his season, I'd, you know, give it similar to Kai Seda. But that would be the midfielder I'd be more worried about right now. And obviously, I think he's, you know, got a, you know, a bit of an injury right now, which we've got to be careful with. But no, like, it's fine. Like, he's he's had games where I've been like, you've been exceptional, one of the best players on pitch. And other games where I've been like, you're a bit quiet and a bit poor. Like, it is what it is, but it's also a young player, you know. As said, the price tag doesn't mean that he's, you know, really just ready-made, etc. You know, there was a... There probably was a ready-made option for Chelsea out there that they could have got gone after numerous times over the years, and they didn't go for it. And you're seeing, you know, the impact that player is having on on another on another club that are you know doing well at the moment. But you know, Moises can hopefully become you know close to you know can have similar impact to to what that player is having there. I'm deliberately not naming any names because <laughs> it's upward. Um, next question comes in from Daniel, and I like this uh, question. A lot of people including my friend, have mentioned just how good Conor Gallagher is in transition and what he does to provide stability both defensively and offensively for us. What would his sale mean to you both from an on and on and off the pitch perspective? Dan, I'm going to go into this. The simple point is, I would kind of, this is going to sound around I would kind of basically lose all faith in what this ownership group are trying to do. Because it's not about whether you as a fan really like Conor Gallagher, whether you think he's really good really bad whether you think he's okay right I think you know a lot of people maybe overrate him a lot of people just completely underrate him he's a solid player for Chelsea and he's been arguably Chelsea's best player this season I don't think anyone can argue that he's been Chelsea's best player if you sell a player who is captaining Chelsea most weeks starting most games is key to the way your coach head coach has his team playing to me that basically just screams of your that is the biggest indicator and you sell him that has been biggest indication of undermining the head coach and if you start undermining your head coach I see no future whether it can continue or work with that head coach. And I can see no future where it basically you actually progress because also the message you send is, yeah, you can, you can, you can go away. You can, you master your craft line. You can, can graft away on loan. You can do whatever you can, you know, earn your place in this team, you know, through merit, but you don't fit the vision we have for this team. So we want you to go, even though, the manager likes you and he wants to play you and he should be the person in charge of, you know, really getting me playing. If like Dan, I do not, in terms of the emotional attachment, I do not have an emotional attachment to Conor Gallagher. Like I do to say a Tiago Silva, or I had to like an Angola Kante or a Reese James, or even to sort of a lesser extent Mason Mount. So it's not like I would be truly emotion on an emotionally level devastated or gutted if he went, but I would be pretty furious with the club and the way it's acting and the direction of travel of that football club, to be honest, because I don't see a world where you sell your best player in a season. This is not like a, this is not like a, a lower league, a, lo- a lower level premiership club that has to sell their best player to raise funds. And if Chelsea save any to raise funds, well, stop your silly spending in other areas or actually move on other players who you should try and move on. Dan, honestly, I think it'd be a disgrace and I would basically lose all faith that Chelsea, this that Chelsea Football Club actually are going anywhere because if you are binning off your best player who has played, you know, binning off your one of your best players this season who has more than earned his place in the side, who is outperforming both your hundred million pound midfielders, etc., then I I just go, what are we doing? Where is what is the plan? What is the vision? What are you? What is this football club actually trying to do? And also, just a side point, the intangibles that Conor Gallagher has are just really, really important as well. I'm not, you know, that stuff matters. Like, it, it does. This for him, this for him is like the pinnacle. This is for him 
But Chelsea is really as good as it gets for him. Whereas for other players who I'm not, and I'm not going to names because I do not know their intentions or attitudes, but Chelsea might just be the stepping stone for, for greater things moving forward, who Chelsea is potentially a stopgap or a good chance to get a career back on track and move elsewhere, potentially whatever. For Conor Gallagher, this is it. This is basically his dream. This is as good as it gets. As I said, he's been one of, and you know, and then just put his performances on the pitch, just back him up. So, and if the club tries, whatever, I'm, and I will say is, to anybody, do not buy any narrative that the club tries or has the audacity to try and spin if the Conor Gallagher wanted to leave Chelsea or wants to leave Chelsea or won't sign a new contract. He's basically, if he does, if if he does not sign a new contract and does anything, it's because Chelsea are basically not feel very people of club and not make him feel valued, not feel made him feel welcome, not made him basically have basically done everything they can to offload. That's it said. If all these reports are said are true, but I think you know there's got you know there's got to be something to them because they do creep cropping up. I will cut cut off shortly to let Jam answer. But Dan, honestly, I think it would be a disgrace just for principle it sets, dude. Whether or not you like Conor Gallagher or not, you're just directly undermining the head coach. And if you're directly undermining the person in charge of, of of coaching your team to try and get results, then what future have you got? As I said, you've got these sporting directors who, you know, sure, you're identifying these talent, dude, and they've signed a lot of young talent. But they seem to have got basically, and they've, you know, seemingly signed some young talent that's good. But they seem to have no idea about building a squad and actually what's needed in a squad because they are seemingly happy to bin been off one of your best players because maybe he's not technically what they like or what he likes but every squad need i'm sorry every squad has a player like a conor gallagher like this and this is this comparison is not made to do him a disservice but liverpool had a jordan henderson liverpool had a james milner like these player teams have these players like man united in in the old days under fergie had those players they would have like a darren fletcher they would have you know potentially a jason park and that's maybe being a bit harsh on jason park he was actually a bit of a bit of a player this is my point all these clubs have these players as well like you don't just yeah damn i'm gonna stop because i'm probably gonna stop go around in circles but honestly it would be it would i would lose all faith in what they're doing if they sell conor gallagher to be honest because it's not because i said he's a player at the club it's not like chelsea are de- debating whether to sign conor gallagher or not he's a player we've already got here and we're seemingly willy willing to, you know, part ways with a player who's basically playing like 90, 90, 95% of minutes for Chelsea this season. As I said, you know, maybe in the fu- if in the future down the line, he was becoming less important and less integral to Pochettino, then I would hear the argument for selling him. But there is no argument for selling him, dude. So get, so if you're Chelsea and board, and if you're worried about him not signing contract, then actually stop, you know, do actually start making some effort to try and show me his value, show me his worth and get him to sign a contract. Because I reckon Conor Gallagher will sign a contract. You've just got to make him you know, you've just got to you've just got to put it out there and actually make him feel valued. But jam thoughts, Nick. I, there's not an awful lot I can add to that because I I fully agree with everything you said there. Um, you know, you're absolutely spot on. I think the thing that I want to highlight is this guy's 23. He's actually our oldest cent- central midfielder, right? Uh, Ugochukwu's younger, Lavia's younger, Enzo's younger, um, Paisedo's younger. They're all younger than him. And he's the one that has those real leadership traits. We're struggling with this as it is in the squad as a whole. The, you know, the whole experience, especially in the midfield. Do not get rid of this guy. He, What he brings will rub off on the rest of the players. You know, you said it, the intangibles, the want to be at Chelsea, the, the, seeing Chelsea as the pinnacle, the leadership qualities, the always having an effect in the game. Like, we cannot get rid of this guy. It, is, it would be absolutely woeful. And like you, Nick, I would lose all faith. And I've already I've already lost quite a lot. But this might just be the final straw for me, getting rid of this guy. It, 
if he wasn't our best player this season, perhaps there could be more of a conversation. But my God, you cannot afford to undermine the coach like this. And I just, I, I, I look at Connor and his effect on every single game and it's just invaluable. He could have had an assist yesterday if it wasn't for Jackson's crap finishing. Like, and then what were we saying? The guy would have had maybe our most assists this season of any player. He's so got, He's got four Premier League assists at the moment. But, yeah. and this, and Dan, this is for a player who is deemed to lack creativity and, you know, mm-hmm. not have any general, you know, people demean his technical ability as well. Well, actually, I think people watching him will realise his technical, technical ability has come on leaps yeah. and bounds this season as well. Exactly. The improvement that he's showing just from last season is incredible. The guy is already growing as a, as a man, as a player, as a, as a footballer. Is, is, you know, being a part of Chelsea. He's growing. And mind you, he, he's not even the best at this, but his shooting is the best in the squad from midfield. He's the only one that can take a pot from the edge. So we're also going to get rid of that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, the amount of nonsense we've got from him taking a shot, we get a corner, the keeper spills it, goes back to one of our players. There's so much we could go on and on and on and on with this guy, but he brings so much to us, especially this season. But for reports to be coming out saying that we are looking maybe in January to sell him is incredible. First of all, how could you dare sell this guy, our best player, halfway through a season? What does that say about where we are, where we are as a club? Secondly, it, it, no, that, that's all I'm going to say. No. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And as I said, what you know, they said literally direct your if you directly undermine a head coach, how do you, how are you expecting to to get anywhere, Chelsea? Like they said, if you you know. If you don't like the way Poch has things up, then maybe do your due diligence better in your, you know, research for a head coach or just sack him if you're really, you know, but that, you know, that's what they would probably have to resort to, to, to essentially have any chance really of just, you know, justifying a sale of Conor Gallagher, selling Pochettino, hoping a new coach comes in who doesn't really rate him as highly as he does. No, it's genuinely, it's genuinely bizarre. I don't see other clubs, you know, you don't see other wannabe top clubs happily happy to offload their best player this season. No, it's, Dan is genuinely just bizarre. As I said, the emotional perspective, the emotional in terms of attachment to Connor might not hit as hard as, as other sales in the past, but just in general, like just pure logic and in terms of the direction of travel of this football club, etc. I would just be like, what on earth are you doing? And I said, people will be, some people listen to be like, oh, it's only Connor Gallagher. It's extreme, but it's also a president. It's set, it, precedent it can set do, but you can essentially, you know, work so hard. You can be, you know, as I said, earn your place in merit, be the best player in this team. And that can still potentially be, not good enough. Like, but if there's questions in this Chelsea team about who to sell, it should not. Conor Gallagher's name should be right at the bottom of that list. <laughs> like, but but it's not. Anyway, we'll end it there, Dan. Hopefully, you enjoy that answer. I know you're a big Conor Gallagher fan as well. Um, final question comes in from RJ. How much of Chelsea's topsy turvy season is down to Poch, Viva players, the circumstances, e.g., injuries and suspension? Jam. Interesting question because, as I said, you know, we are getting to the halfway point of the Premier League season. In fact, we are at the halfway point of the season. Ten, ten, we are in 10th place. We played 19 games. We have 25 points. You know, average value of the season, we'd end with with 50 points. Um, how much of Chelsea's top service season? How, let's, let's try and break it down. How much of where Chelsea are right now do you... We'll, we'll, go easy, we'll start with circumstances because I feel it's probably easier to sort of build up because I feel, you know, Poch, it's probably easier to finish on Poch, which is maybe, you know, one of a yeah, a bigger factor than, than other. So circumstances, injuries and suspensions. Uh, well, RJ, firstly to that, for suspensions, like we've done that to ourselves. Ill discipline has been done 
to ourselves. So that immediately for in, for suspensions, I put down to the players. So I immediately associate that to players. Injuries, yeah, like that is a factor. There, there is a factor. Like you, like again, it's a small, it's a small point, and they, and they could still go on win the league. But look how poor City have been without one player in Kevin De Bruyne. That's one player in Kevin De Bruyne, right? Look, we'll see how Liverpool do without Salah and Afcon. And you know, clubs get injuries. Like, look at Newcastle. Look how they, how much they've fallen off of all their injuries this season. Injuries is definitely a factor. Like, you would be naive to think like it's not a factor. We've seen thirty minutes of Romeo Lavia this season. You know, who knows when we're next going to see him? Enzo Fernandez is currently injured right now. Moise Caicedo came and he wasn't quite ready to start for this. Bro's off the back of a serious injury. And Kunku's off the back of a serious injury. And not too long before, but had a serious injury. Madueke has had some injury issues. Mudrick has at points had injury issues. Reese James is just injured all the time. Ben Chilwell has had injury issues. Like Wesley Fafana, I mean, you know, you kind of forget he still plays for Chelsea. He's not kicked the ball for since the end of last season, etc. Like, RJ, I think injuries definitely are a factor because when have Chelsea really been able to get their best team out again on paper? And as I said, Nkunku was great in pre-season. And yes, a player goes down, there's got to be another plan to work. But that was also so key to the way Poch seemingly had that team playing in pre-season. But we've not, you know, we're now just seeing Nkunku there. So we go to go to injuries. Jam, how much would you, you know, place on injuries? Because I feel like you said there's a three-way breakdown between Poch players and injuries. And I've, you know, I feel injuries is certainly we can maybe adjust this later, but I certainly would be tempted to say injuries is maybe 20, 25%. Of, of where we are right now what were your thoughts yeah at least I mean you know I, I criticized um Poch for tinkering um let, let me just say unnecessarily but you know at, at times his hands have been tied behind his back we just get so many injuries it's it's a joke I'm I don't even need to see the stats I'm sure we've had the most this season out of any team um you know we're definitely up there at the very least it's crazy. Can I say, Jack, um, side point as well. Side point. It was nice that Roy Hodgson was basically the first person to actually acknowledge that Chelsea had injury yesterday. Like everyone oh, else yeah. doesn't talk about, like you acknowledge that Chelsea had injuries. Like you never hear really. Like I don't feel in the media or like certainly I've got like everyone harps on about Newcastle's injuries and everyone's harps on about Tottenham's injuries, but Chelsea is sort of like, almost gets forgotten. I guess maybe because they just look, oh well, they've got a big squad, but there's still loads of injuries anyway. Continue. No, you're right. It's because instead, what 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 sells the what gets the clicks and the engagements and the interactions is saying that we spent a billion and so we don't care. That that's what does it. So, most of a decent chunk of that hasn't actually seen a football pitch. Exactly, it's crazy. Like it's had a, it's had a, a significant impact. Let, let's be real, um, definitely. But then you know, just going back to one of the points you made about um, uh, suspensions. Uh, just really quickly, I'll just say that just shows that we've got this young team. So that actually kind of reflects back on, on who made the decision to get these young players. Do you know what I mean? So that that's something that I'd actually attribute to them, if that makes sense. But yeah, injuries have had a big impact. We, you know, we've got to say it as it is. Uh, but if we say, and RJ, this is a, a potentially moving figure as the conversation debate, but if we've got about 20, 25% now, Jam, how much do we have on the players? Because obviously, as I said, this is a, this is a sort of a young group. And I think, I mean, I've got a feeling if I was to do percentages, I feel certain players you would have percent, a Trisha Moore percentage on. I think one of them would be Reed Sterling. Um, but like, you know, I think he's actually been one of Chelsea's better players. This is how much players, because obviously I do think just there has just been moments in games where there's just been, for example, as, a, as I'm, and I'll, I'll bring it back to a point I made earlier. I said Chelsea are six points off sixth place 
right now. And Jam said, don't do this to yourself. Don't do it to yourself. But I will, just, I will do it to myself. If Rob Sanchez doesn't boot the ball straight to Declan Rice against Arsenal, I think that's two more points. I think Chelsea go. I do think Chelsea win that game. That's that's two more points we got. And I know there'll be the caveat of people who go, well, we maybe won some games we didn't deserve. But that's potentially, you know, a game you could we could win there. That you know, a match due to sort of players inexperienced making mistakes, making errors, etc. I think if you get potentially some of those get I'm and maybe this is naive given and maybe this is just me, you know, overreacting to Chelsea winning three consecutive home Premier League games for the first time in God knows how long and basically being at home uh, unbeaten since since I've run for game in October. But maybe those but maybe, and this is a big maybe, maybe we we break down one of those Forest or Brentford or Bournemouth games earlier on in the season. Granted, I think Bournemouth now would be a lot more scary proposition than they were then. But this is my point. I do think there's out there. I also as I said the discipline, this is what I bring it back to players getting needlessly suspended, the ill-discipline of points. Thankfully, it's not Thankfully, it's not costly last night, but Raheem Sterling getting booked, and I mean, granted, it's a bit harsh booking, but he has also been booked for diving in, in recent weeks as well, and that is a slightly, you know, for anyone, anyone who sort of remembers Raheem Sterling, sort of the start of his career, diving was sort of something he was quite well, you know, something used really against him. It's sort of something that's gone out without, you know, that Jackson having more, again, not helping the, the Jackson narrative, but having more bookings than goals this season, etc. Like, Players 100% are a reason, but but again, I feel like a lot of these players, I don't necessarily, and Jam, if you, I'm not sure how many Chelsea players have actually underperformed hugely what we would expect of them. I just think, unfortunately, there's just been some collective howlers all at the same, like team howlers at the same time, really. Like, obviously, been, there's been moments, there's in, been individual errors in games, but it's quite, I don't know, maybe, and maybe this is again where we'll, we'll have to go back and adjust more to circumstances, but. Players, I don't know. I maybe what what would what percentage of it would you kind of put down to, to players? Because again, it is a young team and there is there is indecision and who knows, maybe you know, there've been moments where we could be in a slightly better position than we are if players' execution was a bit better. So what would you what would you do about maybe what again similar twenty, twenty five percent? Yeah, yeah, I, I think similar because um, you know, our expectations need to be realistic with these players. You said it, they're a young, inexperienced team on the whole. <laughs> Having said that, I would then look at certain other examples of mistakes that could have got us points. Um, so, of course, Sterling against Wolves. I think we win that game. I genuinely do. So that's a whole three points right there. And then Sterling at nil-nil at home. Even, to, or Jam, even if we don't win that game, I reckon we probably draw it. So, yeah. yeah that works. Okay, yeah. let's say let, let's say a point then. Um, so that's one point. And then remember Villa at home when Sterling didn't pass that ball? He wasn't offside. But... He could have passed to and Jackson. Also, you know, there is the questionable, potential questionable nature of the gusto, potentially red card. There's some questions there about it at the time. Chelsea making that point from that worse, but yeah. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, look, there, there are there have been moments, you know, some of the more experienced players have let us down. Thiago Silva, a few mistakes here and there. I, I, Funnily enough, I think his mistakes didn't really lead to, like, they weren't result changing, just added pain. Let's put it that way. Um but but yeah, the, these players on the whole, young, inexperienced, hopefully the trajectory that we, we are seeing is that they're going to make less and less mistakes and it's going to keep going that way um, because we are making way too many at the moment. But 20, 25% sounds about right for, you know, attributing, let's say, blame to why we're mid-table at the moment. So if we've got 40% basically down to sort of players and to sort of, injuries you know and like we said the suspensions that we've i've included about the player section event injuries 
jam. I'm going to, because obviously I do not think we've done 40, 50%. I feel going 50% on posh would be harsh. I feel that would be quite harsh, which, which has got me then going another factor. And who knows, maybe RJ meant to include this in circumstances, but I'm going to do Poch and the hierarchy. But Poch is one and the hierarchy as another. Because I think Poch has not helped himself in some games, as we mentioned, as we banged on about the pod. It would be nice, Poch, if you could just play players in your natural position instead of giving yourself a rod for your own, you know, making a rod for your own back at a point. At times, subs questionable, but also, and I'll say this, Poch, like, like he can't help it really. I'm not sure how much he can help it if a if an attacker doesn't square if it is selfish and doesn't square it to, you know, another player unless he's literally been instructed to shoot a goal and not square, which would just seem bizarre and not really make sense to me. How much would you sort of put down to Poch? Because again, I can't go, I can't really for him attribute. Re, uh, for me, it's probably if I was to do it, it'd probably be similar to the the players. If maybe like twenty percent. I tell you what, let me let me answer it this way as well. What annoys me is when play when 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 I see fans try to completely absolve him of any blame for it. That really annoys me. As the manager, you always are, um, you know, you you you're always a part of of uh, of your team's results performance. You, you are responsible. You are the guy that's managing it. As a manager, you've got to get the best out of the players. You've got to get the best out of the situation. Um, that you're working with, you've got to make the most out of things. He isn't doing that. He hasn't done that. Let's be real. Um, that's not me saying that he's failing um, necessarily. There have been other, obviously, as we're talking about, there have been other factors. But I I, I just think what I will criticise with Poch is that he. I, I fear sometimes he might be too much of a nice guy, uh, a bit like what happened with Potter, but not as bad, just... Obviously, the job was too big for Potter. Chelsea is a weird beast. You know, you've got the, the media that loves to drag us whenever they can. You've got, you know, quite a volatile van, fan base. You've got the, the you know, the the, the situation of, of a lot of change in the last 48 months. And I just feel like he might need to be a little bit more of a bastard to be able to manage that and just get on top of it. Do you know what I mean? So I do criticise him there. But I'm not trying to say, say that, you know, maybe he needs to change his personality, but maybe he just needs to be a little bit more of a bastard. And that will include punishing someone like Sterling for what he did. Don't start him next game. And that's actually a way that, it, you know... You can't blame him for for not for for not finishing these chances. But when players do something like that, you need to punish them. That's on him. So if he doesn't and he starts next game and maybe let's just say has a stink or whatever, that's on his head. I will come for him then. That that would be too much. Um, but yeah, look, the stubbornness with him, you know, selecting three centre backs, playing them out of position, not playing full backs when you know they're on the bench. <laughs> It's too much. Um, I don't think that's helped us at all. And I, I would say that our defence being a bit of a, a circus is down on him, you know, um, partly uh, as well as the players. So, you know, 20, 25% again sounds about right. Um, however, I do want to give the majority to what we're about to talk about. I'm glad you brought it up. You know, the hierarchy. I, I think they need to hold that really. Yeah. So if we were to do, and again, this can be, you know, people can adjust to the VO1. If we were to go, in, if we would go injuries, the sort of circumstances with injuries, etc., 20%, the players 20% and Potch 20%, that's kind of basically going, it's all quite similar. That would leave us with 40% left. And I feel that's 
probably right. Some people may argue that percentage should be even higher. But at 40%, we have still got them taking the majority of the blame. And Jam, I do think that is the hierarchy. And the reason I will give him more of a blame, because on Poch, as I said, final point, I don't, he's not done things that are not helping himself. But Jam, I think Chelsea could appoint any other head coach, and I don't think things would be drastically much different. Maybe some things tactical might be slightly different, who knows, but I don't think the actual overall outlook of where Chelsea are in the league would necessarily look hugely different. I think the squad planning has just been bizarre. Like, I get buying young talents, but there's not been... You've bought young talents, but you've not bought a, or had any idea how to build a squad. And I think they're just so, like... As I, said, I think it goes down to them, because I just do not think... That I I just, I mean I just think Chelsea have been appallingly run for eighteen months now with with this ownership to be honest and they've I I gave them a grace last season you know first season but they've just un, they've just done too I feel they've tried to make so many changes some unnecessary changes as well like you hear of just like unnecessary changes about people have been in roles for years that you know just like going which you know probably aren't even necessary you know shouldn't even really be that impactful you know but. Yeah, Jam, I'll let you go on it. But just for me, it's for thoughts because I will be honest, as I said, and it kind of links back to maybe just going back to, you know, the question Dan asked about Gallagher, but I'm just worried that like I do not think they've, you know, I just do not think they are really properly aligned. Their view is aligned with maybe sporting directors and with Poch. And I just do not think they have, I just think they've really just ballsed up this football club. And, and in 18 months of basically, as I said before, I've, I've taken Chelsea from one of Europe's elites, albeit as I said at the time on a t- on a uh, on a on a weighing Tuchel built tightrope, um, but to, to to nearly also runs like there is genuinely like the case you can make keep the case that Chelsea are also how many years potentially, but and I say potentially, would it take for Chelsea to be out of Europe to then just be considered also rounds and also rounds and in the wilderness, like that's that's the point. No one, I don't think anyone at this moment time has any faith in this ownership and what they're doing, but Chelsea are going to get back to where they want to get to. I think people's optimism and hope that Chelsea will get back to where they want to get to is just essentially blind faith and hope that Pochettino can, you know, work miracles almost. And this squad just comes like good quicker than maybe we, we expect it to. But as I said, I've right now, for where Chelsea are, I, I kind of portion that to the board because I said, Potter last year, you go, okay, Maybe, maybe that's just Potter, you know, the job being too big for him. Potch is struggling as well. So now now there's more than one example, but it's not just the coach at fault and that other people are struggling under this structure right now. So yeah, Jam Fords for me has said 40% of that is is on, on the hierarchy and where this football club is run right now. And I guess yeah, it'll be I, interesting I, to see how on a side point, I guess it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea women's side do when Emma Hayes leaves. That that team has been a juggernaut to see how that team responds now i do not know enough about the wsl and i know that chelsea are firepower and still have one of the best squads so you'd hope they can get a coach and things still they can still you know continue sort of that dominance so that's probably more for one of your 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 women's uh team podcast there but it'll be interesting to see that impact to see if you know chelsea fall from that because then that would also perhaps be perhaps even more alarming than what's happened to chelsea chelsea's men's team but yeah just thoughts yeah do you know what that's a great point you just brought up there that that would be very damning on them if if they were to fall off and you know hopefully that that doesn't happen um but um you know just one thing that you mentioned is um you, you said before I really get onto the hierarchy you mentioned you're not really too sure that Chelsea would be doing much better under a different manager I understand what what you mean by that 
because you know the, the majority of the blame is on the hierarchy and how they've brought the players in as I'll speak about but you know one example I will give is what Iriola is doing at Bournemouth you know quite a young team as well they've got an identity they've got a way of playing they're on form yeah. um I think he's 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 probably doing a better job if you were to to look at yeah, it like that. I don't doubt that, but I also feel mm. that he's probably had, you know, he's not had to deal with as much upheaval. He's not had to deal with I essentially agree. the expectations mm. that Poch had. Like his job, he's done he's done a fantastic job. And like at the start of the season, there was sack shouts fan, but Bournemouth persevered with him. But I guess the point being, it's just like it is also, you know, for him like a different. For example, I give you like Unai Emery at Aston, you know, Aston Villa doing wonder, wondrous things there. I'm not like he's doing great. Aston Villa, Aston Villa. I don't think he come. I, I think you've dropped him into this Chelsea environment. I said he, he'd do some things differently if he dared to play. If he if he if he had the balls to play Thiago Silva with that suicidal high line, wow. But I don't think he would. But this is my point. Yeah. Like and said, man, and obviously, and I think there are certain managers managing their clubs obviously better than Poch managing Chelsea. I don't deny that. But my point being, I don't think you, you could drop any manager in. And I don't think things really a drastically drastically yeah. different i i agree with that like drastically yeah yeah i do i do agree with that um this hierarchy they you know full of people that really know about football thinking that all change is good change football you know the thing i always say about football is that um you can have all the the data the stats the theory the logic the morals in the world it football sometimes doesn't work you know logically and what what i mean by that is um you know they probably thought oh we need to change everything we've got a toxic squad oh yeah this team need a new stadium all of that we'll just come in with all our money and just change it and it will work no you never ever ever sacrifice or should sacrifice longevity the value of longevity whether the backroom staff whether you know the, the the head groundsman you know the player the 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 people at the training ground uh, you know all of these things the playing staff obviously longevity is key for maintaining an identity and it's clear that Chelsea have lost and are losing this identity um and it's really started to hurt us i mean to think that we could just come in and get a team full of players that lack experience are younger and just think it will work and they'll all develop at the same time do you understand how wild it is? Because when you look at any other young player when they've developed in other teams that are successful, they are one or two in in a certain area of the pitch. You might have one or two youngsters in the midfield. You might have one or two youngsters in the defence. But they're all around players that have been there for a little bit of time. You know, most of Chelsea players, most of the Chelsea players, including Sterling, have been there less than forty eight months. Do you under, uh, do you understand how weird that is? Twenty four months. Sorry. Do you, do you understand how weird that is? That that is not right. These are all players still trying to figure out the the identity. Um, and you know the 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 point I'm making about the experience is that you these young players should be learning from other players that have experience in a similar position to what they play. You know, yeah, learning... I'm just going to briefly interrupt you. I I said this numerous yeah. times, and I know, I don't know how possible it is, and I, I'm kind of getting more okay with the idea of it not happening but I said how I would have loved Nicholas Jackson to have an Olivier Giroud type yep. figure like Tammy Abraham had when he was coming yep. through at Chelsea etc you know how you know you had Mason Mount in sort of our midfield or, or wing but he had Kovacic and Jorginho Kante he had you know Callum Hudson-Odoi or, or you know had Pedro and Willian etc like there were these options there exactly that this Chelsea squad does not really have I said there was a mad stat on commentary on they said yesterday Thiago Silva when he came on 
I think was about it was at least 14 or 15 years older than the next oldest player on that Chelsea pitch, which was Christopher Nkunku. And you're like, oh, yeah, that kind of highlights <laughs> the point very well. Exactly. And, you know, these players, they're, they're, it's the first time probably in their careers where they're learning about what real adversity is like in football. And you, you need these experienced heads that have been through it in some way, shape or form to get them out of it. And they... They haven't, they've got each other to learn from. Do you know how wild that is? The only way they're really going to develop then is if they do win, that's how they're going to learn. Um, so, you know, to 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 think that that could all work and to, to make all that change in one go and to to have these long contracts, we're going to see if that works or not. It's crazy. It's, it's really, really crazy. And I just really don't know the direction that Chelsea are going to go in. Um, and we unfortunately we've lost our identity. When do we get back to where we need to be? Because every single other team looks at us and just go, "Oh yeah, Chelsea, oh whatever." Like we can go and get three points there. Oh Chelsea, they're not as big as they used to be. We're just getting dismissed, and it's it's an even more competitive league right now. So it's even more difficult to do that. And yeah, it's it's a it's a big worry. It's a big worry, but. You know, they let, let, let's see what happens by the end of this season, to, to be honest. I kind of gave them a long time before I started saying anything. And, I, you know, I started speaking out on them maybe a couple of months ago when I realised this was just a, a shower of shit, to be honest. Um, how does it change? I don't know, but they're mostly responsible for it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, indeed. I just bring people back to this quote. Uh, uh, by Bedeg Agbali. We thought Chelsea was a good beachhead. It was frankly an asset, a business that was not terribly well managed on the football, sporting side or promotional side. Uh, 45 from 42, 45 points from 42 games in 2023 later and uh, something about milk in the sun comes to mind there, people. Um, yeah, as I said, like, I just do not think, I said, I, I don't mind buying young players, but as I said, I said before, you've got to have people, you've got to have that those experienced players to supplement it. And, and Gem, I even think Poch, and this is Poch, a person who's quite renowned for playing youth, has basically also hinted that he kind of wants more experienced players in this squad as well, like over the weeks as well. So, yeah, as I said, we, we have to wait and see. And look, thankfully, I said, I think PSG potentially might have saved us, us from ourselves, you know, from signing that young <laughs> player we were going to spend like 30 odd million on or whatever. And like, no doubt he may be a talented player, but great, he can get offloaded to, to Strasbourg. On, really, on really quick. Well. Yeah. Sorry, Nick. Sorry to interrupt you. Really quickly, just two points, right? Um, first of all, Poch did want more experience in the summer. They didn't give it to him. Um, secondly, we've just signed uh, uh, an under-17 player from Senegal, another midfielder. Papa yeah. Dion. <laughs> no, and he's going, he's going to... He'll, he get, like, what I don't get on a side point, why don't why don't you just get like your part, one of your parent clubs just to, to sign him and then you just buy him off them for whatever it is? Isn't that how you're meant to do it? Isn't that how you properly do it? I don't want to piss off Strasbourg and I don't really want to piss off Strasbourg because I'm not a fan of a multi-club model, even if it's kind of just the way modern football is. But yeah, ugh. anyway, anyway, that's all Doesn't make the sense. time for your listener yeah. questions. Um, so, Jan, before we go, it's Luton on Saturday. It's not a, it's a quick turnaround. Uh, genuinely, the Christmas scheduling is, I feel kind of bizarre because Palace had like a, a, a day or two longer than us uh, for this and then, you know, for this part, and then we're playing again. I think before, I don't know, it feels weird the scheduling, but anyway, Luton um, away thoughts, feelings. I'm terrified. Um, we've we've beaten Palace two one. It's a twelve thirty kickoff, which I and people I reminded Jan this on under his tweet yesterday, but I remind people Chelsea have not won a twelve thirty kickoff since October twenty twenty one when we went to the King Power and won three nil three nil at Leicester under Thomas Tuchel. October twenty twenty one. It was a week we would then 
proceed it was a week you know the start of you know the next game after we went Demos Juventus 4-0 remember that people remember when we were like a, a really really elite from side Chelsea have not won a 12-30 kickoff since um Jam Luton I'm terrified I'm going physical and you know you mentioned about you don't want to see four centre-backs I think it would be I would I dare posh to not play Gusto after that performance he did but <laughs> Luton are a big physical side so I would not rule out seeing four centre-backs playing you know playing against them just thoughts feelings I'm terrified because also Chelsea have a weakness from set pieces and from crosses and uh Luton like Luton uh like doing that they like bombarding the cross Adros Townsend all just whipping balls Ross Barkley doing his thing I'm genuinely terrified uh I shouldn't be because Chelsea should win this game but I'm terrified but yeah we 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 should win but how often have we uh sort of said that and then bang uh yeah, I'm I'm absolutely terrified as well, mate. You you've hit the nail on the head. They're they're good at set pieces. They're physical. It's going to be a battle. I I dare Poch actually to to actually think we're a better attacking side and go and beat them. Just go and beat them. Let they they're probably going to score fine, but why don't you go out there to go and score more rather than to to try and prevent them scoring when they're inevitably going to, which takes away from our attack. I mean, look at look look at Luton's um, results in some of the big games. Uh, they lost 1-0 to Tottenham. They lost. Uh, they beat Palace 2-1. They drew 1-1 with Liverpool. They lost 4-3 to Arsenal in the last And minute. that one on Liverpool they... was a, a Liverpool injury time equaliser as well. Exactly. Um, they they lost 2-1 to Man City and they beat Newcastle at home. So it's a long also, day. There's also a 4-3 loss to Arsenal in there, which they lost in yeah. injury time as well. In in the last minute, exactly. So it's it's going to be a long day and we really, 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 really need to turn up. But my God, the only way we're going to beat these guys is if we have faith in what we can do in possession, not what we do out of possession. I, I just think that's a long day anyway. So go and, go and score. Go and outscore them. That's how we win. Is he going to do no, that? Simple. Nah. Nah. Chelsea, but just Too please, pragmatic. please go for it. Just get people... Like, I want to see... I want to see a Jackson and Kunku... Mudrick, Madwaki, front four. Like I do. I don't want to... And I know people will see, you know, Palmer's available. If needed, bring Cole Palmer off the bench. Like, let him like let him rest. He wasn't great against Wolves. Like, just give him... Nonny's, Nonny's on these last two appearances off the bench, and certainly last night, deserves to earn a start. Look, if Nonny's not fit enough to start, then okay, fair enough, because he has been coming back from injury, and I will understand if that's the reason why he doesn't. But if he's fit to start... Start him because and Kunku probably can't get do 90 minutes. So Kunku can maybe do 60 again. And then you can maybe bring Palmer off Palmer on then, maybe. I don't know. It's just it's just an option. But I want you to go at them. I want you to bring, you know, bring the pace, bring far. Because you said you bring some of that technical, maybe some of that more, you know, technical ability and that directness at them, you know, that can hopefully just overpower them. But we but we wait and see. Yeah, I, I'm terrified for Luton at the weekend, which also just sums up Chelsea, but I'm terrified of, of Luton, their team, but may well get relegated, but we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of that Chelsea podcast said. It's been, you know, uh, nice to, to to catch up with Jam. Nice to, to recap two games and, hey, at least we won one of them. Um, Jam, before you go, give yourself one last plug where people can find you and all your stuff. <laughs> yeah, a bit of pleasure as always, mate. Um, yeah, so everyone can find me on at carefree underscore Jam. Uh, just, I'll just say all social media platforms, mainly X. Um, and obviously check out the Chelsea social and the CFCW social too. Lovely, lovely stuff. All links will be in the description below. As far as you can find us on Twitter or X at that Chelsea Podbury on Instagram, that Chelsea Podbury on all your usual podcast platform providers, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. If you've not subscribed or follow already, then just search that Chelsea Podcast. 
and we should come up. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please feel free to leave a rating and a review. It you said, you know, just helps spread the word, it helps us get out there. And again, whenever I tweet the product, any likes and reposts go a long way. You know, Twitter or X, you know, can sort of shake you on the algorithm a bit at times. I said posting content that takes you outside of, of X does not do you many favors. So any likes and reposts just to, to spread the word really does help people. And it does, you know, get us out to as many Chelsea fans as possible. And at the end of the day, we're just Chelsea fans talking about that one club that we love, that drive us insane, but also, you know, make us happy as well. So, yeah, shovel our people. But until the next episode, keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network.